0: That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Scoot Corey Perry! William able to take away from Salonis. It's getting away to
2: All right. Uh Welcome back to the Forever Mighty podcast. Big news. We actually just planned to record a show on Thursday and it just so happened that uh, the Ducks decided to hire their new general manager. Steven, you can't see this, but I've slapped a nice picture of Pat Verbeek over your video because uh, I, I know you loved his glasses today. You made some. I did. I was
1: a big fan of him. I just, you know, I look it just surprised me i don't know that i've ever seen glasses with what looks like one of those like cabela tactical spaces in the center like i i don't know i guess they're like black plastic rimmed aviators or something i'm not sure but yeah it uh it it definitely made me chuckle but it's okay because everybody made sure to uh quickly tell me to shut up (laughs) <laughs> which I think is a great sign that everybody is invested in our new general manager and they are willing to defend him, which I consider to be uh, very encouraging. Yeah, it's
2: been a while since we've been behind the GM. And actually, like I, I guess we were all kind of behind Solomon, right? Because he took over from Murray, so there was at least some change there. So we're all like, okay, something new, something, something fresh. Uh, didn't know how long that was going to last. Honestly, a bit surprised. Uh, maybe not now, but I think when we talked about this for most of the year, this felt like a decision we thought was going to happen in the offseason. And then all of a sudden, like every team here uh, in, in the short term is like, OK, we're just going to hire a general manager now, which now that I look at it, it makes sense, because if you're going to want if Jeff Solomon's not your guy, then you want. The new guy to come in, Pat Verbeek in this case, to handle the trade deadline and handle these important uh, unrestricted free agents are coming up in Linton, Raquel, and Manson. So it makes sense to do this in midseason now that we you know, have it finally done and, and Verbeek's the guy. Uh, but yeah, I always kind of felt like it was going to be an off-season thing and Solomon was going to get the job. So a little bit surprising in that sense, but we've we've kind of been building to this over the last couple of weeks.
1: God, Brett is already trying to piss everybody off. Yeah. Um... <laughs> That's
2: ah. usually usually how it goes. Yeah, I, Brett it, uh, I... mentioning that uh, Dallas Eakins, is uh, first yeah. move for Beek is going to extend Eakins. He did say he yeah. was
1: going to have a long conversation with Eakins and get to know him better. So, so I so that was the thing for me. Like, I think everything about the tone of what they were talking about, kind of post Murray resigning, they went out of their way to make it abundantly clear that they were not, excuse me, uh, they were not going to be rushing this process. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like I can, I, I at least felt that with Solomon having just come in, having come in from an organization that at least in their kind of rebuild process, like seemed to be doing, a good job, you know. We've been very, you know, positive on how the kings have kind of mostly handled their business. Um, and then also having Martin Madden there, and I guess to whatever extent, Dave Nonis, who is really just ugh, the third idiot <laughs> brother. So, I was gonna say, like, doesn't... you've got
2: this nice, like, dream team aspect. I'm getting in, a little fat ahead of myself there, but like, Pat Ruby, his. History and his uh, track record with Eisman puts him kind of in high standing. There's a lot of teams interested in him. you got Mark Madden, who's kind of our scouting savant right. over the last couple of years. And then Jeff Solomon, really, you know, his background speaks for itself. Um, and coming in from the Kings organization, you've got these three guys who are going to stick around. And then you've just got Dave, Dave Notis just hanging around, leaking everything to
1: Darren Dreger pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but I think that was like, that was the big part of it for me. It was like, I felt like they were like comfortable waiting um, to see where this got them. And I think the way that the ducks have been up and down this year and have kind of looked at different times, like two different teams, I think probably incentivize them to try to get this taken care of sooner than later. And, you know, I think the fact that it is going to be six weeks before the trade deadline, um, you know, it is, is positive for them. I think it gives him just enough time to kind of get in and get a lay of the land. Um, But I think they wanted to make sure that they had somebody in charge for the next stretch of the season to make sure That there was a cohesive vision, because I think it could be very easy to kind of hot and cold, like, you trade Manson, you trade Raquel, but you give Lindholm, you know, 8 by 8 yeah, And, like, you can justify that to me, but if the new guy comes in and goes, we're not there, then you just burned $8 million in cap space. If you want to trade him, he's probably got a no-move clause at least, and... If you want to trade him, you're probably, A, not going to get back what you would have gotten, and because of the contract, you might even have to give things up moving forward to move the money off. So, you know, and, and to the same extent, you could do it the other way, right, where they could send everybody out the door, and the team surges in and makes, you know, an impromptu run to, like, the Western Conference finals or something, and everybody's like, oh, no, they're, like, for real. Like, you know, and you're like, well, we just got rid of, you know, Our last three, like three of our most important veterans at this point, like established players that have, you know, uh, not only standing like on the team as far as skill level, but also in the locker room and things like that. And you're like, okay, well, now we just sent everybody out the door. So now what are we going to do? And like I, I it makes me very optimistic, I guess, of how ownership will maybe be moving forward. And again, this is all this is all just straight fucking conjecture. This could be completely wrong, and it could just be they weren't sure when they were going to get to meet for Beak, and that's just the guy they liked. You know, I know in the press conference, uh, Samuel Elliott was really um, uh, effusive in his praise of him, but specifically, like, his link to Iserman.
2: Yeah, and building those, kind of... those championship teams, right? Or one in mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, and then his, his kind of progress so far with Detroit and what they were putting together there.
1: Yeah, it felt kind of like Sean McVeigh or I guess more like Cliff Kingsbury where it's like, oh, he knew Sean McVeigh and everybody's seen Sean McVay's done such a great job where it's like, oh, look at Iserman. He's done this and he, look how good they are and blah, blah, blah. Well, let's get his guys because his guys all have, you know, the magic touch and, <clears throat> you know, but I, I am, I'm very optimistic right now with where this is going and I feel more uncertain than ever of what's going to happen next.
2: Yeah. It, it's a, it's a really tough position to kind of get thrown into at, at the timing with Rubik, but it also is for him an ideal situation to get your hands on this team right now, because you can really shape it to however you want to be by going through this deadline, looking at, you know, the, the three big core pieces that are unrestricted free agents. There's not a lot of contracts that you're tied to other than really Henrik Silverberg mm-hmm. and Fowler where, you know, you can't really move them out or moving them out is going to be difficult. And then you've got the kids, right? So that you, and Getzlaff is, is on a one-year deal. So it's not like you're you're tied to, you know, his big contract a couple of years ago. So it really is a clean slate. You can do whatever you want here. And he's got the freedom to go into this deadline, and, and really look at this team objectively and, and make the decisions that he wants to make to shape this team. And, you know, again, you're only really stuck into three players. And Fowler has been exceptional this year, so that's not really a detriment. And Henrik's been good, and Silverberg's been good in his own right, so it's not like they're bad players to be stuck in. So you really, he's got the building blocks to to kind of go out and and shape this team the way he, he kind of wants to. Mm-hmm. Off the bat. Like, how many GMs do we look at across the league where they'll get thrown into a, just an awful situation? Where like the contracts on the book are just terrible. Like look at the GMs that have coming coming to Vancouver, and in that situation, they've continued to make it. Jim Benning continued to make it just awful. So whatever GM they get, though, that's going to have to take over that and look at those contracts and what they're going to have to try and do for that team. It's a it's a less desirable situation to walk into. And then obviously you've got Zigris and Drysdale and probably if not the best, the second-best prospect pool in the league. So if uh, I'm sure if he had a choice, if Pat Verbeek had a choice of which team that had a GM vacancy to take over right now in terms of like roster projection and, and mm-hmm. looking at who could get to contender status sooner, I'm sure he would have picked the Ducks. I mean, a bit of a homer in saying that, but you, you look at their roster compared to a lot of the other teams that are looking for general managers right now, they are in
1: mm-hmm. a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I I think, like you said, you know, there is a little bit of everything on this roster right now, which will give uh, Verbeek an opportunity to really do whatever he wants. Like, he's kind of got all of the little bits and pieces, right? Like, he's going to come in with three very valuable expiring uh, UFAs. He's coming into a team where we have seen Troy Terry, a young player, take a huge leap. Uh, we've seen what Zegris looks like he can be. There's, um, you know, I know Drysdale hasn't moved quite along as well as, you know, maybe some of us would have liked or had hoped, but, but he's still someone that like you can be very high on and be very excited about the way that he he's going to develop and what he can be. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things you've got past. You've got McTavish, you've got uh, Zellweger. Like there, there's all these little young pieces. There's all these mid-level vets, you know, I, I think for me, you know, my questions will be, what does he do with Henrique? What does he do with Silverberg? Um, How does he look at those contracts? You know, is there any one of the young players that he's maybe less keen on uh, that he's going to be looking to move? Like, I think I mentioned this to you before on the show, but as far as like, you know, is this worth looking at how much you can get for Isaac Glendistrom right now? Yeah, like it's possible.
2: You know what I mean. Like, a- Every avenue is open right now. Into like I don't. There's a few players that are untouchable in terms of you know Zgris and Drysdale and all the younger players. But Isaac Lindersham has been great, and and there are a lot of good young centers coming up. And, and I don't think it's out of the question. Now, I, like he's not at the top of that list, but if somebody comes calling and gives you an offer that uh, you just can't refuse, or if it's we talked about Chickering and a few other players, if you know that's the piece that takes you over the line then I could see that being a potential for him to get moved. And, you know, one thing that keeps crossing my mind, obviously the connection with Verbeek and, and Detroit and Iserman, and we, we spoke about this a little bit in the last show, I think it was very briefly, but there was some rumors that Detroit might be moving on from a player like Philip Zadina. So, well, there's a good connection there for Verbeek to pick, mm-hmm. pick up the phone and call his longtime buddy Steve Iserman and say, hey, what's, what's it going to take to, to get Zadina over here? And that's potentially where you could see maybe a player
1: like Lindstrom or something like that go back the other way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say it. I hadn't necessarily thought about it in this way, but you mentioning it that way kind of made me think about it. Like, it'll be interesting to see if we have a situation with him where, you know, maybe he's really comfortable, especially with both of them being in the East, if he's really comfortable getting on the phone with Julian Breezebois. If he's really comfortable, obviously getting on the phone with Iserman. Um, You know, uh, I imagine in the next couple of years, we'll see a few more guys from Detroit and uh, Tampa look for new jobs, more prominent roles. Where do they go? What does that look like? You know what I mean? But it, it, it's really, you know, like we had Murph and Murph loved making trades with whatever team Brian Burke was in charge of. Like anybody know, that did just hate like... him I'm trying to deal with him before. <laughs> yeah. Anybody in the East or Brian yeah. Burke were pretty much his favorites. Um, you know, like, but I think like him and, uh, what is it, Stan Bowman, I think, like had a really good relationship. Yeah. Like we made a lot of trains with Chicago for a while. Um, But, you know, I'm curious, like I, I this is the, you know, because I was like thinking about it as far as like, what kind of questions are you asking, right? You know, and I, I think the big question for me that I've become curious about, and I would love your thoughts, is what would he have done with the third overall pick this year? if he had that McTavish pick, like would he have taken McTavish? Would he have looked at Eklund? Would he have maybe reached for Ed Vincent? Like, I just, it's a very fascinating question and I think it, we'll never know the answer, but I do think it kind of would provide an interesting glimpse into where his he is at.
2: Yeah, I think we'll get that at, at this year's draft and obviously not as high as a pick likely unless the Ducks win the lottery. But I, I, I would think just, I mean, we don't... Can you win the lottery and the Stanley Cup in the same no, season? I'm, I'm I'm projecting that they miss the playoffs, but because <laughs> oh. technically points percentage wise they're out of a playoff spot right now. I'm being very pessimistic, but, but like I I would think just based off I mean who Verbeek was as a player that doesn't mean that's the type of guys he's gonna necessarily pick and gravitate towards. But you heard a little bit of that in uh, the presser today where he talked about how you know, he just likes guys that compete and they need to be bigger and stronger and they need to get basically hit the weight room. And, <laughs> and that's the next step for a lot of these guys. I feel like just looking at Mason McTavish's profile at the draft, that would have been a guy they still would have been high on. Uh, he has a, a background in pro scouting. I'm sure he would have leaned heavily on the scouting staff and, and Martin Madden. I still think, no matter what, that would have been the Ducks' pick, even with Rubik. Uh, as part of the staff, but yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, like this is all new for us, right? We've all we've had Murray for the last what decade, and and we kind of were used to how we approach a trade deadline and how Murray's going to approach a trade deadline. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. same every year, and how he's going to approach the draft and and what that's going to look like. And yeah, the draft has been a success, and, and Murray gets some credit there, and obviously so does Martin Madden and, and his team. But it it will be very interesting, a lot of fun to go into this deadline and see what a, a new voice and a new direction is going to do with this team. And then you go into the draft and free agency and everything's different in terms of our approach. And we'll start to kind of figure out fairly quickly here and, you know, what approach Verbeek has and what type of players he likes and what type of players he's targeting for the future of this team. And, and uh, Brett brought up a, a good point earlier. And we talked about this on the last show with the ducks, not playing a lot of games this month and the games they do play are all against the Pacific Division teams fighting for playoffs spots with them. LA, San Jose, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Those are all the teams that they're going to face this month. Where they are now, third in the Pacific, could look a lot different at the end of February, which is perfect timing for Verbeek to really take a good look at this team. When Calgary and Edmonton, and everybody's caught up that their game is played by the end of February. The Ducks have played them. You know, however, those games have gone, You know, those four-point games, and where they are going to be in the standings without those know big gaps in games in hand you can then take a real objective look at this team at the end of February early March right before the trade yeah. deadline so okay this is where we are this is where we stand up with the other teams in this division which direction do we want to go and, and clearly they're still looking at embracing the rebuild to some extent but that will weigh heavily I think into the decisions and moving Raquel and moving Manson and moving Lindholm and how big these these next games are for the Ducks they're coming off a really good road trip where they went 3-0 and 2 against a lot of teams we didn't expect them to play well against or beat and you look at Boston and Toronto tough games and Montreal and Ottawa and Detroit were easier matchups based on the standings but tough buildings to go into on some nights and and play well and you look at that Ottawa game John Gibson saved the game for them there so you know you'll get a good look at at, uh, at what this team is is where they are and what they're going to look like moving forward. And it's a great spot for, for Verbeek to be in and come into at this point to really get a quick, objective look at this team.
1: Yeah, like, I, I want to ask you, like, and I, you know, don't say something funny like, you know, like figure out where the coffee, the coffee pot <laughs> is. But, like, for real, like, your first, like, day or whatever as, like, GM, right, of the Ducks. Like, what's the first thing that you do? Like what is the first thing that you think is the thing that requires either your attention or just getting it out of the way? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's
2: fairly simple. I I think it's, you know, he mentioned a bit in the press or two, it's talking with the coaching staff, talking with Martin Madden and Jeff Solomon, um, you know, talking with the players and, and getting a good look at this team and, and really starting just from there, from, from day one, you know, Mapping out your plan and and what you kind of what you want to do moving forward based off that is it's, it's gonna take him a while to kind of get in there and he's already said he's gonna have those conversations with the free agents at some point I imagine it happens fairly quickly but uh, you know probably a week or two down the road where he starts calling the agents and talking to other teams about Lindholm and Raquel and Manson but uh, a lot of preliminary stuff early on just really trying to figure out you know who he has and, and who he wants to keep
1: around and what his options are. Yeah, because, like, you know, I I think for me, like, the answer is, is get everybody's list, right? Like, call in the guy with the modifieds and all that shit and go, just right off you (laughs) have, you, no, no bullshit. I was thinking about this, right? Like, because this is one of those things that, like, I just sit and think about because I'm an idiot. But I was just like, you just call all of them in at the exact same time. You make it incredibly clear this is not personal. This is just, I need to know this shit. And you go, I need all of your... Your guys's lists by X time, right? You know, I am prom. I am not committing to moving you. I'm not committing to not moving you. None of that. I just need to know what it. And I think that's where you have to start, right? Because like for me, like if you can reasonably move Henrique, can can you re-sign Raquel? Or does having Henrique mean I have? that i i have a a middle six winger you know player or middle six center like a middle six forward on the team so i can i can now move raquel maximize that return and know that there's still going to be some stability on that roster with Henrique and silverberg and probably getzloff right you know moving forward and uh fowler and stuff like that so i just think i, I just think it's it's you know, it, it would be a very interesting way to kind of get an idea. And Dalton asked, like, I think usually most players do submit them before the season starts, but I also think... They get asked or if if they need to, right? I would, yeah, like, it would also be one of those things to me where I also don't think I would expect a player to... St- I don't think I would expect a player's list to say the same. Yeah, for sure. No. You, you, you know, never like, know how it's Like, I think hold, Cam yeah. Fowlers is probably just four teams at the cap, right? Uh, he's like, uh Montreal... Tampa Detroit. Bay, Toronto, Detroit. you know, just teams that can't afford yeah. him. And that's what like, I get that. That's fine. But like everybody else, right? Like maybe you're in a different spot, right? Maybe a team like Winnipeg to someone like Manson doesn't look bad. Or maybe a team like Columbus to Henry doesn't look bad. Like those are kind of terrible examples. But yeah, also what you're saying kind of no, like direct teams that at on... the beginning
2: of the season, you thought were not going to be in a position where they are. And, <clears> you know, like an Islanders could have been on somebody's list at the beginning of the year. They're probably not right. on somebody's list at this point. Um, Nashville might not have been on somebody's list at the beginning of the year, but now they're a better team. They could be. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I think Dalton. I think exactly. Dalton's correct. I, I don't know for sure the details, but I believe they do submit them at the beginning of the season. But then I, I think when when they're needed to ask for that list again, when it comes to a trade, like who you know submit your list and it has anything changed, I think that conversation happens. I'm not, you know, 100 percent on those details, but I believe we've seen reports before where. You know, players been asked same as you know, waive your. Do you want to waive your no trade clause? Will you waive your no trade clause for this team? Can you submit a list uh, again, like a right. fresh list of of what teams you want to go to or what teams you don't want to go to, depending on what the, what their their no trade clause is and how many teams that the, that they can put out there. So I, I think yeah, I think that will be something he probably does uh, early on. I would imagine just to get all that information on the table, right, and have everything. Yeah, you don't have to exactly. go back later and and do that. Just get it all done out of the way you know, this guy can go here, this guy can go here. Okay, I can talk to this guy about this guy. And then I think that will coincide with the calls again to other GMs about the unrestricted free agents, about Lindholm, about mm-hmm. Raquel, about Manson. Start judging what the value is going to be on these players. I'm sure that conversation, the first one of the first conversations he has before he does that is going to be with Jeff Solomon. What kind of calls have you received? What like, what offers have been pitched? What What is kind of the going price, you know? And a guy like Josh Manson, who's apparently been heavily pursued by Toronto as well as other guys, like, what have you gotten so far? You know, take mm-hmm. catch me up, get me up to speed, and then and then he can kind of take it and run with it there.
1: Yeah, and you know, something worth like saying, too, is like, usually like a list thing is like, it goes through the agents, because that's why the agents are there. But I think if you do it this way, and I think if you do it off the bat, it helps kind of eliminate any room for assumptions or suspicions right because if you wait two weeks and then you ask well what if someone's in a shooting slump what if someone just got burned bad last game right or what if someone's playing really well like i just think you know it it could create unnecessary tension in a way when getting it out of the way early is an easy way to just be like this is just information that I now need to have as the guy in charge. I'm not doing anything with it necessarily. And this isn't, you know, a reflection of you. It's just, you guys are the ones with lists. So that's what matters, yep. you know? And I, and you know, I think, you know, how much, like how high on the list right now is, is Dallas Aikens, right? Like, uh, how quickly do you need to come to a decision because I, I think at this point, if nothing else, he has earned the right to finish out the yeah. year. Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine
2: they're so, going
1: to – that that's got to be on the back burner for right now. That would have to be, a, you know, like, we would have to turn into Philadelphia in the second half and just have an 18-game losing yeah. streak. You know what I mean? I, even and I, even I then, think, I, I would even say, like, right. we might as well just finish out the year.
2: That's a decision. he Like, that will obviously weigh into the decision, but I feel like that's something that – you know, he's going to try and just – well, he's going to establish a relationship with Dallas Aikens and, and kind of monitor that situation as they go and talk to the players and talk to everybody else about kind of mm-hmm. what their the perception is of Dallas Aikens and the organization. I'm sure he's obviously done his homework before the interview to kind of look into how Aikens has done this year and the coaching staff. And then, yeah, that that's a decision probably, you know, even after the draft uh, or – like it's at least getting through deadline and end of season before you even start, I think revisiting that. And then you decide whether you want to make that call before the draft or after draft or you know, after free agency uh, and go from there. You know, it, it's kind of different for how every team approaches that right. And, and whether they want to get a coach in before the draft, we've seen some teams do that, whether they want to get the draft and free agency over with first, and then just basically say, okay, you know, here's the keys to this team I built. Go and you know, no, no, uh, no insight or no uh, input into how they want it built. So every GM's kind of different, and we'll start to get a good look at uh, how Verbeek's going to approach that. Uh, but he's got a, a lot of big decisions, not even just with the coaching staff, right? Like analyzing his staff right now with Martin Madden, mm-hmm. Jeff Solomon, and Dave Nonas, and what he's going to do with them. And I, I think he'll, I would imagine, he'd want to make those decisions at the same time. Or, or you know, around the same time, and analyze you know all aspects of the team and what what who he wants to go and who he wants to keep around and any potential uh, candidates he wants to bring in.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I agree. As yes. um, you know, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think um, you know, it it's really interesting, right? Because there are already a handful of guys who are available coaching candidates. And again, I don't think there is any reason to make an in-season change. I just don't think that should even be on the radar, right? Like you said. But you know that there are names out there. And then you know that there are going to be a handful of names that are going to come in right in the end of the season as teams start letting people go. You know, and I I think before the draft you need to have an idea of at least who you're looking at if Aikens isn't your guy. And so, you know, I think, I think that presents a really interesting situation, but I also think it's important, you know, to your point about free agency, like I don't expect that we're going to be significant players given what he's talking about as far as being in the middle of a rebuild and things like that. But if I'm a player, I want to know who my coach is before I sign. Um, you know, so at the very least, he's got to get that done and, and wrapped up by July one, you know, and, and the draft is always at the end of June just before free agency. So like, you know, I don't know that you can put off till after that, making those kinds of decisions.
2: Yeah. I, you, you can't, right. Like I, as much as I said, like it has to go to the back burner, and it's not something you think about now. It, it will be right when you hit the offseason. You at least want to have a plan, right? Like, I'm sure you'll start. he'll start thinking about whether he wants Dallas Aikens. I think the first decision he'll have to make is, is Dallas Aikens the guy? Not, who are my other candidates? and so what mm-hmm. can I do? Do I want to go at least another season, if not more, with this guy? If you're right. not sure on that, that's where you start looking at, okay, who's available? What are my top options? And now, okay, we're going to weigh the odds, have some interviews, and then make a decision based off that. And we're gonna go get Claude Julian, baby. <laughs> yeah, as as long as he uh well it would have been nice to get it. He was supposed to be the Olympics guy, the Olympics coach, and then he what did dude, he do? Blue on his knee or he
1: something? fell. He fell on the ice and got hurt. Yeah, bro. Per... I thought like I thought he like in practice yeah. he like fell and got I hurt. I can't remember what he did, but he, he hurt himself and... and so now dude, is there like I, this is just all the way off the rails already, but like, is there a bigger downgrade <laughs> possible from Claude Julien to Jeremy Collins? Yeah, it's
2: uh, it's bad. I, I mean, listen, like, it's like, not like the, the team's gonna struggle that much. You know, they're not a great team to begin with. The Olympics are. I'm gonna watch the the games for Mason McTavish. Okay, Dalton said he cracked two ribs is what he what he did yeah it's just bad timing couldn't get out you know he just could not get on the plane and, and have to go through that when uh trying to coach a team in china so listen it, it is a major drop off to go
1: like college, I, like college. honestly all no bullshit like how long do you think they sat there and thought we should probably call mike like I don't know that I want to do this with Jeremy Colleton. Like,
2: what? is Mike I, Babcock still coaching
1: that... in uh, like Saskatchewan? Or something? Yeah, dude, I love he's, it, man. He's I doing it for the love of the I game. would not at all because he can just hide there until somebody forgets and hires him. A I would love to get uh,
2: one of the players of that team on for an interview, just to find out oh, how Babcock coaching that team is. Like, just an inside scoop on. <laughs> like, is it brutal? Like, is he coach he can't he's got to be a little bit more lenient right like the skill gap between well, what he's used to coaching and these guys has to be obviously
1: way different well that's the other thing and like uh, you know again for me as an american is easy to forget but like because of the like infrastructure of minor minor league not minor league but like canadian minor hockey right like the ohl and the the chl and all that shit like if you're playing in college, you're not good. Yeah, a you know lot I mean? of like, these guys that play
2: yeah. in college here, they played probably OHL or QMJHL or something for a bit. Mm-hmm. They were like third or fourth line guys there. They're older, they're you know, 23, 24, and then they've gone on. They didn't make it, so now they're, they've gone on to... To college yeah. to get a kind of a backup and then eventually they might go and play pro like second league somewhere else so like it yeah, it's, it's not like the u.s where like the top guys go to like the the top colleges and you've got like really right. really competitive players that right, if they're not going to play in the nhl like they're going to be good ahl players or good players overseas like yeah it's it's a tough it's a yeah. tough go you like the cody Currans, right like are, are right. the highlights yeah. who come out of the canadian college system
1: yeah it's just it's it's a very interesting thing and so like you were saying like the idea of like you know mike babcock basically coaching a u22 beer league team like he can't handle that well like i just all or
2: nothing amazon documentary on babcock coaching (laughs) University of saskatchewan
1: (laughs) oh you know what i would sign up just for one streaming service just for that like if they were just like we're just gonna 24 7 big brother, Mike Babcock, you know, Canadian college coach. Like, I want to see that because, like, I want to see the moment that somebody does something and it pisses him off and he physically goes through the stages of processing and realizing that he can't get, like, this was not someone who handled mistakes well when he had Nick fucking Lidstrom, right? Like, this is someone who's one been exposed as coach of the Red Wings. Uh, as coach of a very young Mighty Ducks team, go Ducks, uh, and as the Canadian coach for whatever the fuck, like he has seen the most incredible level of talent. And so for him to then be like, oh, I should rip into this 22-year-old kid for a turnover in the offensive zone. It's like, no, man, you can't do that. Like, that's just, that dude's just, you know, he's doing this and hoping he gets a break, but more likely than not, whatever class he's taking is more valuable to him long-term. Yeah.
2: I, I would pay money to see that. Um, we could probably talk about Mike Babcock all night, but I I, I, sure, I want sure. obviously want to get back to to Pat Verbeek. Um, okay, like your your thoughts uh, just and overall thoughts on on the Verbeek hiring. Um, you know as as him being the guy. You know, are you happy with it? Because I know we talked a lot about internal hiring and Madden and Solomon were kind of at the top of our list for a while. And and a lot of that's just because I'm not too familiar with a lot of these guys, like the candidates that come up, the AGMs mm-hmm. and stuff. It's until their names get mentioned, you can go do a lot of digging. Like you just don't hear a lot about AGMs until they they come into the mix for interviews and whatnot. And and you look start looking at their resume and how long these guys have been around. We all know who Pat Verbeek is as a player, but what what are your like? What are your thoughts? How do you feel about it? Are you happy with it? Was there another guy you were kind of hoping for?
1: I think for me, the longer I kind of sat with just like, you know, what are they going to do and stuff, the more I kind of, and I would say recently within the last two weeks probably, like really started to lean very strongly towards picking someone outside of it. And I I felt to a degree that Solomon was a, a reasonable choice because he is so new. And he does have a little bit of that familiarity, right, that you're kind of hoping Verbeek is going to pick up in the next two, three weeks. But he's still a mostly fresh perspective. So I think as far as an internal choice, he was kind of the one for me just because he was as close to an external internal hire. And I know that sounds stupid, but like, But he's freshly a new hire from another team as early as like this season. Right. So. Yeah. And so, you know, like I I really like that. They picked someone outside of the organization. You know, I I think when you kind of look at like uh, coaching lineage uh, or like you look at his post playing career in the way that you look at like different, like coaches careers, right. Like, he went through the process. Like he was a scout and then he was, you know, on the the team with Iserman in Tampa Bay and moved up through the ranks in Tampa Bay, you know, like it's easy to forget. Iserman got there in 2010. He was there for a while and, you know, he worked his way up through and then Iserman dipped and was like, you're going to come back to Detroit with me and we're going to go make this happen. He was like, hell yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot there that is, in my opinion, encouraging as far as his like his lineage, right, and and what he he kind of has been a part of historically. Um, I, I think his comments about analytics are really smart. I I think, uh, you know, I, like again, like he's. The only player in the NHL history with five hundred goals and twenty five hundred penalty minutes. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm still that yep. dude. Like, that makes me happy. Like the fact that a five foot nine dude has five hundred plus goals and twenty nine hundred penalty minutes and like you're not gonna find someone to me. That well well in
2: tune to both sides of, of the game. Yeah,
1: and know, and, and especially having, you know, again, made some of these comments about how he looks at analytics as a way to verify or disprove some of what he thinks he's saying right you know and and you love that but i just think from a, a human perspective there is a lot to like about his disposition uh as a player and then a little bit that we've seen of him you know in the press conference Conference, like he just seems like he just seems alright, man. you like okay, cool. Yeah. Like you know, it, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He's you know he's 57, so like it's weird with like coaches and executives because it's like, like they're old. 57 but they're, feels a little oldy, young but like, for the. It's position. also not yeah. very old at the same time. Yeah. You know, like Lou Lamarillo was like 700 years old and he's still in charge. Not everybody's a <clears> or a Dubis, so right. Um You know, but he at 57, you could see him being here for 15 years. You know what I mean? Like, all right, uh, yeah, that works. I'm cool with that. Um, You know, I I think there are a lot of positive things. I think, you know, people are reading a little too much into some of his comments about the rebuild as far as, like, where he is or isn't on it. Like, to me, he came in and said exactly what the team is, which is they're a young team with, A lot of promising talent in the system and on the roster. And they're not quite where you might think they are, which we can see in the game by game play, the game by game results. You know, it it felt more to me that he just made a pretty honest observation as opposed to making any type of declaration about what he was trying to do or wants to do yeah that that was like the only um, the, i didn't have a problem with the the
2: piggybacking on like him recognizing they're in the middle of a rebuild and say okay he's full on the rebuild and this is the way he's gonna go like it it can hint towards that but what else is he gonna come in here and say right like he's not gonna come in here and say <clears throat> no, this is my plan, I've already thought about it, Like this is what I'm going to do. No, like you said, he just made an honest observation. This is a team in the middle of a rebuild. They've got some good young pieces, they've got some unrestricted free agents that he's got to kind of handle that situation and figure out, he didn't even tip his hand. He said, I'm going to talk to the agents, I'm going to talk to other teams, and we're going to see where we lean with these guys. So there's really no hand tipping there. He just said, I'm going to come in, I'm going to assess it, this is where I think the team is right now, and and we'll see. And, And we won't get... A full understanding of of what direction he wants to take this team until we get through the trade deadline, and then we'll start to have a better idea, and we can start to speculate and say, okay, like this is the, this is what he thinks this team can be, and where they're gonna go, and this is the approach he's gonna take. Uh, maybe if we get a few more interviews before then, if mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know Eric Stevens has an article that's coming out, I think tomorrow, that he he alluded to that I'm sure will be some sort of interview with Pat Verbeek, and maybe we'll get a look into it then on what his plans are, but, yeah, I, I think it's fairly early. Like, we had, what, eight, seven, eight minutes of talk yeah. from him, and a lot mm-hmm. of it was just thanking the Samuelis for the opportunity and this, and, you know, it was. Mm-hmm. it's a lot of typical press conference stuff. So, some, obviously, some good signs that he understands they're in a rebuild. Like, I know it's very easy for all of us to kind of see that, but there is um, some you know service-level understanding there that he knows where this team is at. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit in, until we get... Uh, you know, a, a, bit, a bit of a clearer picture on, on what his plan is for the team.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's like it's just kind of sitting here and thinking about it, I think it is less of a commentary on him and the team moving forward and more of a commentary on where the fan base is at, right? Because, like, it, it should be noted, we are coming out of the, my name is Bob barry and I'm not going to tell you a fucking thing. Uh, I'll maybe tell you after the fact that I did it. But other than that, you can go to hell, and every year we're competitive until I tell you otherwise. So, like, I get the, the way in which what Pat Verbeek said, which, again, we both agree is just an honest observation. I get why that feels so refreshing um, and, and, and why it can be such an encouraging thing to Ducks fans. I would just say try like you said, try not to read too much into it as far as what it means he is or isn't looking to do simply because we have no way of knowing. And an honest observation isn't really a nod or even a head fake in any one direction. Just, I want it to be, I would like to be, you know, he's like, I think it takes about five years and I would like it to be shorter than that if possible. Yeah, cool, man. That's fine. You know, like if you look at that, you're like, yeah, like, 2010 that like three four years that's when they're picking up guys like Hedman and things like that you're like okay yeah I get why that's what he's looking at you know and then they spent the second half of the 20 teens you know as one of the five best teams every year you know what I mean so it makes sense
2: too like the Ducks already have Zegers Drysdale McTavish and then a lot of young complementary pieces coming up so they are already you know one or two years at ahead of that five-year progress. So for him to say, oh, yeah, like, I think I can do it in shorter. Well, yeah, you're coming into a situation where they're probably two years already into the rebuild and they made some progress and Zgris has jumped in to the NHL and now is a, you know, Calder Trophy favorite candidate. Drysteel has been one of the best young rookie defensemen. McTavish is possibly the top prospect outside the NHL right now. He's up there. So there are some building blocks you already can step into and say, okay, like, we are a little bit further down than where where they started with uh, with Tampa Bay, and where
1: they even started with Detroit when they both got there too. I'm not even trying to fuck with you right now. I'm actually very curious about that comment. Like, is he like? It, are we a hundred percent sure he's even the best prospect in his draft year? Like, you know, not in the NHL. Like, I think there is a lot of reason to be excited about William Eklund and i i don't think you can ignore the relative consensus around owen power yeah. that he was simultaneously one of the best upside picks and one of the best base level picks right like the base version of him is probably still a top four defenseman and it's just about is he a legitimate number 1 guy yeah. right but everything else is already there. So like, I, I I'm just, it's just curious. Cause like, it's just, you know, I try to think about that kind of like context and stuff and like other players and like, yeah, technically now Byfield is in the league. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously you've got Stutzla and Lafreniere and all that. And it's just kind of like, all right, I'm just, you know, curious about kind of where they fit in, but yeah. McTavish is on a hell of a run right now. He's on the Canadian Olympic team, which isn't nothing. Again, Owen powers on that team too. Um, you know, but it, it there's a lot to be excited for Pat Verbeek and I. Like I said at the very beginning, like I think the thing that's kind of funny to me is I haven't been this kind of positive just about where I thought this team might go at the same time as having absolutely no fucking idea what's going to happen. He can do anything. He has absolutely no ties to any of these people. And I think that is going to be a benefit, but it does make him to whatever degree unpredictable. It's exciting. You it's know? exciting. At yeah, the very least, it it is. it's
2: exciting to head into a deadline and a draft and, and free agency and tough decisions and trades with unpredictability, right? Like we don't know what's going to happen. There's no track record. There's no history to look at to say this is what he normally does where we, have, we go into every deadline and every free agency. Okay, Bob Murray's going to make a couple hockey deals and maybe he moves that one kind of small core piece. I'm onto to our cash or Richie. And we go into free agency, we sign some depth guys uh, to fill the bottom six, and, and that's it, right? And maybe we make a big splash, and our big splash is Kevin Kirk, right? Like it's, it, it, it's different to go into it, and nothing might happen. Like we might, we, there's a good chance we go into free agency and we do the same thing. And who knows what we do at the draft and, and at the deadline, but it's just not knowing, which is, you know, it's nerve wracking to some extent, but it's exciting at the same time to have that uh that different perspective but um to to finish off that mctavish thing yeah i I think i think there are definitely a lot of players like power and eklund and others who are kind of vying and and probably arguably further ahead or closer to that number one spot but mctavish is definitely in that discussion as as Mm -hmm. you know absolutely one of the top five prospects outside uh, the nhl at this point let's Still pivot to Verbeek, but talk about some of the other guys who were in the discussion. So obviously Solomon and Madden were interviewed. It looks like the finalists. I don't know if this was the finalists in general or just the finalists of outside candidates, but Jason Bottereau was the other finalist, uh, I guess AGM in Seattle now. And uh, and Ryan Martin, AGM uh, with the Rangers, was also seriously considered for the position. So like number three, I guess. And we've, we heard Ryan Martin's name before Verbeek got announced. We heard Verbeek... Uh, didn't hear Botterell until today. That was new. And uh, and then obviously Solomon, Madden, and Nonis were, were the ones we kind of expected.
1: Yeah, I'm I i i am very curious to see the other names that kind of leak out. Um, you know, because we did hear at one point the external list on its own, just the initial list was like 12 people at least, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, I think it'd be very telling to see kind of what the, I don't know, hiring committee or whatever you want to call them, the, the brain trust, you know, um, of those three guys. Because I, I, The other thing I thought was interesting is the degree to which Timu Solani kind of became more notable in the conversation as it kind of closed uh-huh. up. <clears throat> which i think probably speaks to one the fact that timu has always just kind of wanted to be timu you know like he you know even in the 90s like he was doing rally racing in finland in the off season yeah. and, and the nhl he's was like part of the squad he's
2: part of the decision making process i don't think he was officially announced when they first said it was like it was nidermeyer korea right no guy's. he wasn't and we were like oh we but we all talked about mentioned. like okay why is timu not here but it's Tamer like he probably said I, you know if I can be there I'll be there but <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's gonna work he's, out and then it just turned out that he was more a part of it than people thought he would be so now he's getting mentioned for for being a part of it
1: yeah it feels like tamu's kind of like ducks just like fun uncle yeah. like ah he shows up 40 minutes late but it's fine <laughs> because he makes everybody happy yeah. and you're like okay cool you know um but they they're already getting into this and I am very curious about this I was very surprised. Um, And I mentioned this to you before the show, like about how negative the reaction to Jason Botterill was from, or I guess how positive everybody was that he didn't get it. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, I,
2: I was initially negative and it was more ignorance on my part. I still... Think we dodged a bullet because I'm not a huge fan of, of Baderel's time and with the Sabers. I know it was a tough job to, to step into. For some reason, I thought he was the guy that that handled the Eichel trade and completely forgot about Kevin Adams being the guy that did that and put that together. Um, so I, I've I've toned down a little bit on my my hate for it, but I still think when we weigh up the candidates and, and their you know their track record and their history and and their development in this league as executives, I I think the difference between Verbeek and Botterill. We dodged a bit of a bullet there, uh, but there's obviously something that guy's smarter than me, that the uh, selection staff and that they saw in Jason Botterill and through his interview that made him a finalist. So there is some, some credit there you would want to give the, the selection committee that, that right. they had him there for a reason, but we see guys like Peter Shirelli getting uh, potentially the job in, in Chicago. So Jesus. I don't know how much credit I, thought, I, I, I so. give to former players when you've got uh, I think it's what Pat Sharp and somebody else that are, are Osa, yeah, that yeah. are leading that committee and thinking that uh, that that uh, Peter Shirelli might be the guy there. So I I don't know. I I still I think I was a little bit too harsh on on Botterill. Um and and you know a lot of that again is he was a GM of a really shitty team. It's a really tough job to do. They didn't, you know, there wasn't mm-hmm. much he could do to turn that team around fairly quickly. And then all of a sudden he gets like thrust into the Eichel situation. Eichel gets hurt and then he wants to trade. And then, then it ends up being Kevin Adams who uh, makes the trade in the end, but bottle is still kind of linked to that situation in the dark days uh, in Buffalo. So it's going to be hard for him to shake that just as, as it was hard for Dallas Aikens to shake the, shitty start mm-hmm. he had as a coach with the edmonton oilers and the crap team that he had there and he's done a good job of kind of shedding that this year and not many people talk about it as much as they did but it's something that you know any gm who's been in a situation like that is going to follow them for a while right like it's a tough until you mm-hmm. prove yourself in another situation and if he ever gets that then you know nobody's you're always going to remember it as the guy who just took was gm of a shitty team and didn't make it any better
1: yeah, I you know, uh, you know exactly like you were saying. Like I remember when Akins got the job. Like every fucking interview that he did had. So what did you learn about your time in Edmonton? How do you feel? Like oh, would you take away the donuts and make everyone eat carrots again? And he was just like, no. Like I came in a little strong, and I you know blah blah blah. And like he had to do that, you know, just with just being announced as the guy on the job. And then, it, it you know, look, it, it it took him two years of. Like basically all of the progress that he had kind of made in rebuilding his his image or reputation in San Diego almost got completely wiped away by two very bad years in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing now that that wasn't all to do with him. And I am very happy that he seems to be a better coach than it appeared like he may have been early on. But yeah, like, you know, with Jason Bottero, like, and I I looked it up and like, you know, I was like, why is everybody so naked? Well, he's traded for Jake Skinner or Jeff Skinner Skinner, and then gave him that contract. So yeah, fair enough. That's, you know what? Yeah, that's totally cool. In hindsight, it's it's worse
2: though, because I think when that signing was made, it was coming off a 40 goal year for Jeff Skinner, right? Where everybody was like, okay, like this kind of makes sense. You know, there's a good chance that it, he probably doesn't repeat. I think there is some, some numbers are going kind to of back it up that like, that was just a ridiculous season for him. So, you know, you can, you can kind of chalk it up to that, but like he came off an unbelievable season. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it's one of those deals you go back and you say, okay, in hindsight, like that sucked. And I know Skinner has been playing a little bit better lately, but it, it it's one at the point where they were trying to keep Eichel around, trying to keep him happy. Like it was a deal you kind of had to make. Like they needed wingers. And this guy was unbelievable yeah. for them playing with Eichel. Like you just had to keep him around. You had to do that.
1: And that's, that's, I think the part of it. Like, again, like I do think there's plenty of um, legitimate criticism to be had for the way that he handled certain things while he was there. Um But at the same time, like, I do think we can look. And, like, at a certain point, you do have to look at the fact that, like, nobody's had any real success in Buffalo. Like, he came into a situation, which, again, I think most GMs would give their right arm for. But he came into a team that was on a time, that was on a clock right away. You walk in, you have Jack Eichel. Let's go. This is what we're doing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're making this happen now. So he kind of doesn't necessarily have the freedom that say pat verbeek does now to 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 feel the process out a little bit more um it you know and, and i think that needs to be taken into account i think that at this point it's pretty clear that the owners in buffalo the Pagulas, uh suck ass and are not fun people to work no. for um you know so i hope that you know because jason Botterell was a huge name i think he worked he was at pittsburgh for a long time and and uh you know he he's a guy who like he, he got his shot and it went very poorly and now he's in seattle and it's like well the seattle roster is not great so how is that helping him out but at like the same time you're like ron francis is pretty clearly in charge and it's also fair to point out that dave haxtell is the coach you know what i mean and like he's he's notably bad um so i i just think it's 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 interesting as far as that's concerned it it Creates, like I said, I was just kind of surprised how negative. I think it's cl- it's very easy to look at it and go, Pat Verbeek is clearly the better candidate. But like I said, the the kind of emotion behind some of the holy shit thank God it was not Jason Barral kind of caught me off. Can you, you imagine if he had gotten um, hired?
2: <laughs> it would have no. been. would have been, been, been a completely different podcast if uh, Jason oh, Barral was hired. I'm sure the the chat would be a little bit less friendly tonight if that was the case. Yeah, no kidding. Um, The only other thing uh, on the Verbeek stuff before we move on to uh, probably a quick trade deadline talk and then a bit of a talk about how the Ducks have played lately is what's next for Jeff Solomon and Martin Madden. Obviously, from what we've heard, they're going to finish this season as uh, AGMs for this team. Um and for a seeable future, I would assume they would stay as AGMs because that is kind of the logical stepping stone for them to eventually get into a general manager role. But Martin Madden, uh, he's been requested for interviews for some teams. The Ducks have denied it in some cases with Montreal. I, I would imagine like they're going to stick around for a little bit here until Verbeek decides what he wants to do with his staff. but. Martin Madden and maybe even Jeff Solomon are definitely going to get calls and interviews when other teams are looking for general managers.
0: There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all.
1: yeah, I, um, yeah, the, I, sorry, I was laughing, was just thinking about that quote from earlier where it was uh, Martin Madden, Jeff Solomon, and Dave Notice are all more than happy to continue <laughs> on in their roles that they're cur- And I'm like, yeah, we can just all agree. Dave Notice isn't getting another Dave job. Notice is fairly happy to keep doing whatever he's doing right now. Shh, no kidding, dude. <laughs> like, Hey Dave, we need you to go park cars. Cool, thanks, man. Don't worry about it. I got it. You know what I mean? Like it's just so funny that like he just like again his name is just in. And again, I get it. He has the title. He is an assistant GM. He has been a GM in this league, which I think is all of the reason why his name shouldn't be around. But I get it. um You know, so it, it is what it is as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I think it's. Um, it's really interesting. I, I think if you're Martin Madden, you have a legitimate case to be a little frustrated. Um, because you probably would have had a good shot at, at least making the final group in Montreal. Yeah.
2: And I wonder how much of that even <laughs> is, is the organization and maybe even his decision too. Like we don't know if they just blocked him or maybe that was also kind of his choice. Who knows, right?
1: That that's fair, you know what I mean? He could have just been like, I'd rather just see this through and, you know, when we get to the summer whether I get the job or not. He's been here for so long too. Like obviously
2: the end goal for all these guys is to be a general manager, but sometimes seeing, like you said, seeing this through could mean more to him at this point than, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to Montreal like that should show. And I'm going to be the GM there, or I could kind of stick it out here, potentially have a shot at the general manager job, which he was interviewed for. Mm-hmm. Him, and maybe that changes now that he didn't get it, that he starts looking ser- a little bit more seriously at some of these other positions. But there is something to be said about wanting to stick around and see it through. And he's built this team, right? Like, in you know, the scouting department and you know being the head of amateur scouting, like this is, is his team as much as it is now Verbeek's and Jeff Salmons to some extent, Bob Murray's, like he has his fingers all over this team in, in terms of how they've been built.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, I have a ton of respect for what he's done in the organization. I just think it's natural to expect someone who has been as solid for as long as he has, to look for another opportunity to maybe do something a little bit more and so like yeah I get that you know what I mean and 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 so I I'm it would not surprise me if he was not with the Ducks at the start of next season I fully expect Solomon to stay because I kind of think Verbeek will make him his right hand man because I think it'll be very easy for him, for Burbeek to be like, all right, so like I'll work with Madden or even if Madden leaves, whatever. Like I can do the scouting part, but like I don't have an analytics background. I just know that it has, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, don't, I don't, I don't want to make it out like he's an idiot. That's not really fair, but like, you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like he's not that guy. So I think having a guy like Solomon who already started trying to build an analytics department here before Murray was even like, go oh, or resigned or whatever. Um, I think Solomon will probably be the AGM here for a good chunk of time. It's a nice um, duo to have,
2: and and obviously, it's, yeah, it's even nicer absolutely. if you have Martin Madden a part of that, and you've got those three guys working. Like I, I again, we haven't seen anything from Verbeek. We're just giving the benefit of the doubt because of his track record. But to have that, those three guys kind of leading the way and and running this team, it it is exciting, right? Like you've got kind of all aspects of 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 you know analyzing and, and players and you know. Uh, bringing in players and, and kind of different approaches to the game where Verbeek's kind of right in the middle, and Solomon's very analytically uh, inclined when it comes to analyzing players. And like you said, building the analytics department with the LA Kings. And uh, Martin Madden, again, in the past, he's been kind of in the same boat as Verbeek, but I, I know I remember a few of his interviews in the past where he said he's kind of a likes to go out and watch the players, and that's kind of his final judgment type guy, which makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. being a scout for as long as he was, that uh, I, I don't know surprised that right. he's approached. So you do kind of get like all aspects of the game and, and the way to kind of view and approach and analyze players from all three of them. So it would be nice to keep them around, but eventually it's an embarrassment of riches. Like one of these guys, especially if the team continues to do well, are, they're going to continue mm-hmm. to attract interest, and, and at some point the right opportunity is going to come up for one of them where it's just too good to pass up on. God, it's
1: going to be so unfortunate when Rob Blake gets fired, but I can't wait for them to hire Dave Nones. They're going to be so <laughs> Dave happy.
2: Dave I know Mark Bergeron as the GM and Dave Nones. Dave is the GM. Say goodbye. Or
1: Mark Bergeron is a head of uh,
2: executive yeah. uh, you Luke, know, vice president. Buy Luke, buy Rob officer, Blake. Luke. It's now Bergeron and Nonas running the show in L.A. First thing they do is trade Byfield for like P.K. Subban.
1: Jesus. No, you don't want to bring in PK Subban. He's bad for the locker room. You got to go out and get somebody else. I think he would trade for Nathan Horton's corpse before he (laughs) traded for PK Subban. Oh man. All right.
2: Um, I was going to say, let's, let's go into a little trade deadline talk. I'm not sure if that's going to take us too long. I know we've talked about it a little bit, uh, obviously with Raquel and Lynn Tolman, Manson. I think maybe, maybe we save this for another one because we've kind of talked about it a bit. The only thing I was going to bring up is the Leafs of, apparently been taking a hard look at uh at josh manson which isn't surprising this happens almost every year for the last three to four years that the leafs have been yeah
1: interested in a- well what was i was gonna say what was the joke i think friedman uh in 32 thoughts had which was like uh toronto's been interested in josh uh manson's and pat emlick was yeah. in charge <laughs> it's In been a, a while yeah yeah it's, more, it's more possible like, now with no bob murray because bob murray just loved the
2: guy for obvious reasons but it's, it's potentially possible make
1: me sad yeah um, you know I, I said it today like I, I I would expect all three of them were gone <laughs> I I really I think that is the most likely outcome uh, you know they're all 28 29 uh, they're all about to get a good contract um, and it's very easy to see how they aren't on Anaheim's timeline. You know, again, like, I would love to keep Lindholm around. I think he's special. I think, you know, he plays a game that they very much need and nobody else really does. But I also understand that, like, he's 28 years old. Yeah. He probably wants to win, and he probably wants to get paid. Uh, you know. He definitely
2: wants to get paid like, when he's looking at what guys like Darnell Nurse and Heiskanen got.
1: Right. Well, dude, think about this: him and Truba are in the same draft class, and Truba got that st- stupid deal from the Rangers. He's like, "No, I'm definitely better than Jacob Truba." Like, what are we talking about? i looking at um, this and,
2: and probably saying he's going to at least get seven, seven and a half, if not pushed. Push oh, toward dude, to eight, he's nine. got
1: he's got dollar signs in his eyes. Yeah. I don't blame I, the kid I think either. I don't think he'll get to nine. I, I think he's got a good chance at being between like seven five and eight three, somewhere in there. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I, again, right. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, every year the Toronto, like I also kind of wonder how much of it is just Josh Manson. is so easily identifiable as a part of this team that a lot of people feel they've been missing. He plays a, he has a presence. He has a type of game and he's a right-handed shot for a team that has however you feel about whether this is part of it, has had trouble, obviously, making it out of the first round. Like, they just haven't done it. You know what I mean? And, and you got to look and you'd be like, all right, like, you know, what is the toughness factor with this team and stuff like that, right? And, it's, you know, they keep Wayne Simmons around. Like, Jason Spetz is the hitman on that team. Like, that's – you can't have that. You know, he's just a nice – whatever. Um, but, like, yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. I – I expect, you know, after the All-Star game or maybe during the All-Star game this weekend, we'll start to get more information because people will all be kind of in the same place. There will probably be a lot of executives and a lot of media, obviously. At the All-Star game, it's in Vegas. They're going to play blackjack together. They're going to play poker. They're going to go drinking. And they're going to start talking. And so I think... Next week, we probably will have a few more juicy rumors to talk about as far as what teams are looking for uh, and what Anaheim is looking to get. Yeah. Anaheim's in a
2: good spot. We've mentioned this on several podcasts, but being – maybe not having the number one guys available when you look at Chikrin and Klingberg, but Lindholm and Manson could be the number two guys after those, right? Where Lindholm Mm -hmm. Lindholm could arguably be better than Chikrin. I think the age and the contract for Chikrin and what the season he had last year offensively just kind of put him at another level above Lindholm. But once Chikrin goes, all those teams who miss out on Chikrin are going to be calling the Ducks for Lindholm. And once -hmm. uh, once Klingberg goes, and I know Manson, again, a completely different game than Klingberg, but as a right-shot defenseman, once he goes... Mm Teams are going to be calling the ducks even more on Josh Manson. Every team that misses out on John Klingberg, so there, there's going to be a lot of interest there. And obviously Raquel with his contract and pedigree and production, there's there's going to be interest. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how how these these deals are approached, what teams end up coming in for them, and ultimately what the ducks mm-hmm. end up getting for these guys is, is going to be exciting to see. Uh, hopefully, it's not bad. You know, we, <laughs> I don't want I don't want to come out of the deadline and, and us be talking about the the ducks not getting enough for these guys but uh so it's, it's at least exciting to go into it and and have some you know have some thought that this
1: team could look a lot different when we come out the other end yeah a hundred percent it's very easy to look at them and be like they're desirable like again david savard got a first round pick last year. like i'm sorry josh manson is better than david savard like i don't think there's any question about yeah, that, at this that point. Point. ben charat might get a first round pick in montreal which is yeah exactly and just what are we doing it's... hopefully if it's a seller's market then yeah let's let's get him out the door now (laughs) you know uh, you know but yeah like exactly like you said you know and and him and Lindholm probably are a little bit closer in style as far as being you know big-bodied more defensive-minded guys than Chippen but to the same point like you said when you're looking at Klingberg and Manson, you're like, yeah, there's only so many right-handed defensemen. Apparently they've kind of become, you know, the, uh, the beanie baby or the tickle me Elmo of the NHL, where it's just like, Oh, we got to have one. We got to have as many as we can. And there, you can never have too much, you know? So I, I very much expect Anaheim to come out of the trade deadline with a fair number of pretty pennies. And I'm, again, I'm excited about it, you know, and I'm, I expect that there will be someone traded who we don't see coming, and I'm fascinated by who that's going to be. Well, I know, uh, I know we're planning
2: on on being live for deadline days. Hopefully, it's not the same as the last couple of deadline days we've had, where everything happens the, the days leading up to it, and uh, nothing happens on deadline day. But uh, that's usually how it goes. So we'll we're gonna try and be be live for that one, and so it'll be a bit more exciting this time around with not. Uh, not expecting a small hockey deal to come through and some AHL signings or, or trades at the end of the day, what we're, we're used to from Bob Murray. So that will be a that will be a fun one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, like to wrap up the show here, I do want to get into how the Ducks have done recently um, and what we can look at some of the highlights uh, and, and top performers over the last little weeks. So we'll talk about 10, 15 minutes here and then we'll we'll wrap her up. But um, the Ducks just completed that five game Eastern. I was gonna say Eastern Canada, but I guess uh, just east coast road trip boston toronto montreal ottawa detroit went three oh and two so grab points in each game which is nice eight out of ten points sit third in the pacific division technically fifth in points percentage because edmonton and calgary could catch them but still still in a decent spot like they're keeping pace they they had some good games they beat boston uh lost to toronto in the shootout i think right Mm -hmm. and uh and then beat detroit beat uh, Ottawa, and beat Montreal, or am I missing? No, lost, lost to Detroit lost lost in, Detroit in Detroit. overtime. Right, 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 right. That's the one Gibby lost right. it on. So not, not a bad stretch. Some really good John Gibson performances, some good performances all around. Troy Terry led the way with five points in the five games. Sam Steele, four points. Not bad. One goal, three assists over that stretch. Looked pretty good. Looked a little bit better. Shattenkirk following it up with uh, with four and Raquel with four as well. And then a handful of guys with three and obviously Trevor egress having the play of another play of the season with the uh, cleanest Michigan goal. I think I've seen against uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. That was, we got to, We to well talk about that first. I just
1: rambled a bit about how the ducks have been doing, but that goal was, uh, I mean, if we... I've never been so mad to not be watching live, I was like driving home when that happened. I missed it. Too. And all of a sudden I just see my phone and I was just like, what? And then it was like, oh, my God, he got his Michigan. And I was like, oh, no. And then I watched it, and I was just like, oh, that's, like, incredible. Yeah. Like, he doesn't slow down at all. He's just like, okay, cool. Yeah, well, we fire. normally see, like, a like,
2: stop behind the net. And then, okay, you know, stand still, pull it. and But, like, it, mm-hmm. fluid motion skating the whole way, picks it up and just shovels a top corner. Like, that was – you already had goal of the season probably with the flip pass to Milano. That one could still win just because of
1: the creativity. But <laughs> – poor milano dude just completely lost in the histories he's like he's like the uh what is it it's like the uh, america didn't beat the soviet union to win the gold medal they beat them to go to the gold medal game dude. um that's how i feel about milano it's milano's like, he's like the finland of that play where it's like no 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 he was a huge part of it after the fact it's just um, overshadowed by you know the what creativity I mean. now. It's just completely, like, and I get it. It's so much fun, but it's just I do feel bad for Sonny Milano, you know, especially as someone who's having this like kind of resurgent year, coming off of injury, coming off of, uh, you know, playing on a team that he couldn't have been less suited for in Columbus and, and stuff like that. And uh, I'm very happy for him, but yeah, I mean, Zegris is the star. Right it's there. unreal too. It's like this is season one technically.
2: For, for Trevor Zegers, and to pull off two of those, which, again, are, are usually in, like, a career highlight package for most players, or not even for most players, for, like, the top-end creative guys like that. That's in a, a long-term highlight package. He's pulling this off in his first season. Had a couple between-the-leg shots that probably could have scored on and between-the-legs passes. Like, this, when we look back at this in five years and we put together a highlight package from Trevor Ziegris. It's going to probably be one of the most insane five-year stretch highlight package we've probably ever seen. Like, the if, if this is what he's pulling off now, imagine when he gets better over the next couple of years here and the stuff that he's going to be able to do. Like, it's, it's not like you can just figure it out, too. Like, we talk about some players, why they have sophomore slumps, like, just wait till the league figures out and teams – like, they're not – you You can't figure this out. Like, you don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know what he's going to do on half of these plays until it's a split-second decision. He sees the space open up, and he's got the balls and, and the skill to pull it off. I I just uh, – dude, this highlight reel in, in five years' time is going to look unbelievable. You put together a highlight reel of the plays, not even the, the finished plays, but the ones he tried – to put it between the legs and, and not and you, you add that together this year in a highlight package and it's already ridiculous. Like it's, it's just going to get amplified even more by the end of the season. And it's so much fun to watch. And I love watching Red Wings fans just get really butthurt that, uh, that he's getting all the attention in the world. Like, what do you expect, man? Like you and you and you and me have a different perspective on it. Cause like we really like Raymond, we really like more insider and they're great players, mm-hmm. but how you, you can't be upset. Like, when you've got a young kid pulling off this type of stuff on a nightly basis you can't get mad at the league for trying to get behind this guy and and maybe no, bending the rules a little bit in the all-star game to get him out there like you have to like this guy is is he this guy's putting Anaheim is a franchise on the map, like making them must see TV when they're not even, they're good this year. They're a better team this year, but they're not like a Tampa Bay. They're not a team like, you know, you're not going to, I'll roll up and watch, they're not even national. Yeah, like I'll roll up and watch a Colorado game any night just to see that team play because they're amazing. People are just watching the Ducks just to see Trevor Segres do some crazy shit. Like that, that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And like, I don't know, man. Like, To whatever extent about Detroit, all I'll say is is it's felt pretty clear to me all year long that it's been three guys, and everybody has agreed it's been three guys. Do you want to know who should be aggrieved? Is Anton Lundell and Florida Panthers fans? He's playing a difficult role and is a meaningful contributor on a contender right now. I think when you're looking at degree of difficulty, it's him and Moore Sider at the top. You know, coming in and basically demanding that you be the new number one defenseman, even on a team that's like, oh, it was Danny DeKaiser before. That's still meaningful. That's still really impressive. He's, you know, he's big. He skates well. He's getting goals. He's getting assists. He's playing in a way that you can see his impact. And the same thing with Lucas Raymond. Anybody who watches that kid play for 10 minutes, man, you're like, yeah, he's so special. But... Zegris was like made, and I don't want to, I'm going to just really sound like a boomer, but like he was made for the social media era where it's gifts and short clips and all that kind of stuff. And it's just about sharing these little trip, like these little moments, like that's all he needs. And like, that's the thing about him that I think is so cool and so special is To your point about how, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to do, his spontaneity is one of the biggest parts of his creativity. But the other part of it is he doesn't even make simple plays in simple ways, right? Like, you could always count on Ryan Getzloff to make a simple play well. And it's just like, that guy's streaking down, nobody else sees it, boom, cross-eyes pass, finish. And the vision is remarkable. Trevor Zegris like goes almost out of his way to be like, oh, I'm gonna do a triple spin and make them think I'm going to the blue line, and then I'm gonna pass it off of my own back, hit it with my elbow, and it's gonna land at the feet of Derek Grant, who's just gonna touch it into the, th-. you know what I mean? Like it's so, it's 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 insane. H- his creativity and his spontaneity combine in this really really wonderful way, and like you said. And, every, you know, anybody who watches him play, like, confidence mixed with that spontaneity and mixed with that creativity just creates uh, must-see TV. He's just a blast to watch. I don't know that he's going to win the Calder. I think he will. Just. More than anything, because of, he's got those very easily yeah, moments, it right? In your like mind,
2: right? it's it's, was it's a popularity somebody, contest. In yeah. some sense, at the end of the day, when it's going to come down to the wire between when we look at point, unless one of these guys just opens up like a ten to fifteen point gap, it, it's going to come down to the wire between Raymond Cider, Ziegris, and Lindell. It's going to be fairly close. They're all within a few points of each other right now. If it's close, I I imagine Ziegris wins it because of those moments, because he did ridiculous plays, things that most people in this league can't pull off, especially at at his age, to come in as a rookie and do that. Should he win it because of that? I know a lot of people are going to argue no, but that's the reality of the situation, is when it comes down to voters and opinions, when you're thinking, okay, who deserves the Calder this year? A lot of people are going to pick Zegers because of that, especially if it's close.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say is like, I, you know, I think when you think about it, like the Heisman, right. Like, uh, so the Heisman, Eddie, is this award that they give to college football players who are really good at college football. Football is the sport that we play down here that you guys stole up there and you play it in a weird way. Um, But you know that you can find Heisman moments, right? Like, Johnny Manziel scrambling for 45 seconds and then throwing the dumbest pass in the world to Mike Evans. Yeah, dude, that won him the fucking Heisman. Like, you have these moments that stick in your brain and give you an easy recall to the impact that they're having. Because, again, nobody is giving it to Zegris if all he did this year was the pass to Milano. If that's all he did... He's, it's not a conversation. It's everything he's doing combined with how much his style of play stands out and especially stands out in Anaheim, which has just been the most boring type of hockey imaginable for 10 years. I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. I'm not knocking it. But they have had a very clear style And he does not fit that style. And it's remarkable. And so, yeah, like I I do – and I don't think it's unfair, you know, Lucas Raymond's got, what, 40 games left to pull some dope shit off? I hope he does it. It's awesome. It's fun as hell to watch. I, you know, I hope Mo Sider goes between his legs and over his head. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I hope everybody does the dopest shit and we just get to the the, the end and at the awards, they just play a montage. I don't even care who wins the award. Just play the montage. That'd be so cool. You know, so – As far as all that's concerned, it started out with me saying that everyone should feel bad about Anton Lindell, and then I stopped talking about him, which just proves the point. Wait, before we get to Lindell, I want to make a comment on
2: that with like the being creative sticks out in your mind. Like with Red Wing fans, it's very hypocritical to be getting upset that, oh, Raymond and Sider aren't getting enough attention, and this flashy kid's getting attention when the Ducks, for the last decade plus, have Mm -hmm. had guys that just don't get attention for what they (laughs) deserve. And even Getzlaff and Perry. Mm For the way they play. And then the Red Wings had probably the most comparable player to Trevor Zegers now Mm -hmm. in Pavel Datsuk where they got to enjoy him for how many years in Detroit and to sit there and say, oh, man, I can't believe this flashy kid is getting all this attention. (laughs) Look look what Datsuk was a great player for sure. But was he elevated a little bit in terms of his fame and stature because of what he did to guys on a nightly basis to embarrass them? 100%. So, like, for any fan base to get behind and sob that Mm -hmm. their two young players aren't getting enough attention because, you know, Mr. Flash over here is, is, you know, making people take notice. Like, come on. You have any fan base. You can't be getting upset. You know, Florida. To some extent, sure. You want to be upset that Lindell is not getting enough attention as these three guys and is sitting right in the same you know realm as them of points and putting up five assist nights? There, I can understand that because Lindell definitely deserves a lot more credit for what he's doing in like a third line role for the Panthers, uh, playing with like Mason Marchment. I know he's playing with Sam Reinhardt now, but you know, like he's been kind of all over the place, yeah, not getting man. as as much. Freedom in the roster, necessarily, as guys like Zegers and, and Raymond and, and Sider are just getting thrust into mm-hmm. top six and starting top-pairing top, uh, top pairing defenseman roles.
1: Yeah, no, he is decidedly low on the pecking order because the team is good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good for Lundell that he's in that role, and it's even better for Florida that he's excelling in it. Um, you know, so uh, it's a great... I Like, I just... It's just so stupid, man. I just... I can't wait until somebody so
2: wins this award this year. We don't have... Oh, well, I guess next year we'll be talking about potentially Mason McConvers being a favorite for, for the Calder Trophy, probably. So, um, But yeah, I, I mean, listen, I hope Zegers wins it at the end of the day. If he doesn't, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be super upset. I I kind of want this this debate and argument to be over so we can just enjoy them all as players and for what they're all doing is impressive. Coward. (laughs) I do, yes, selfishly want Trevor Zegers to win and maybe follow it up with a back-to-back with Mason McTavish next year. But he's going to have some tough competition with Shane Wright probably jumping right into the league and Owen Power coming in playing for the Sabres and a few other guys. So...
1: Uh, dude you just gave you just gave me flashbacks to the dodgers when i was a kid like uh the the dodgers had like the first back-to-back rookie of the year winners in piazza and someone else and i can't remember i'm sure somebody in the chat jimmy's old enough he'll remember (laughs) he probably watched him play little league um but you know and that kind of like yeah man that stuff's cool and like you get to see that kind of stuff like build on it you know what i mean like to the conversations people have had about Shesterkin, how wonderful it is to go to just have this line of goalies. And you're like, Oh man, it really sucks that we don't have Henrik. Oh shit. Igor Shesterkin incredible. You know, to to a very different version, you know, it's kind of that, that, that Calder race thing where it's like back to back years, you have two guys in the race. It's kind of just cool. It's just like, we have a lot to be excited about moving forward. Um, and you know, I, I, it's just a really fun spot to be in. And I think if nothing else, it's really good for the league right now. Like I firmly believe when Detroit is good, it's good for hockey. They just mean something special And, and you know, I'm excited about them being good again. I hate it you know, because I don't want them to be good because they made, you know, being a Ducks fan miserable for so long, but damn, it's going to be fun. You know, Dylan Larkin's a really likable guy. Um, there's there's a lot to be excited about as far as young talent in this league. Eventually, Montreal will figure out how to let Cole Caulfield be good again. Um, you know, Nick Suzuki and, and, you know, Sebastian Ajo is not really young anymore, but still, like, th- there's just so much fun talent right now in this league that I can't, I can't explain enough how great it is that we are in a position to be legitimately excited about the next five years in a way that we haven't been in a really long time. I was going to look this up uh, and I think I got
2: it here. I was going to try and find out the only times in NHL history that a team has had back-to-back Calder trophy winners. Um, it's happened three times. Uh, way, way back, we're talking 42, 43, 43, 44, and 44, 45. Oh, so when everyone was a rookie? <laughs> uh, it was the Leafs had uh, Gay Stewart, Gus Bodner, and Frank McCool. When, uh, Frank McCool won at Fake. 26. Uh, Those are all Brad and, Lambert people. I guess, guess goaltender. Um, and then the other one was Boston in 66, 67, 67, 68. Can you, can you guess who one of them was? I think it should be fairly obvious. Uh Oh, so it had to have been that Bobby Orr. Won. He was 18, won the Calder in 66-67, and had 41 points. I don't know in how many games. but And then there was a, the next year, somebody else won the uh, Calder for them. Was it Esposito? Somebody, uh, Derek Sanderson won the, uh, the Calder after that. Oh. Uh, Tony Esposito won it uh, <clears throat> two years later for, uh, God, I'm trying to think of what this team is. CBH, I don't know. Oh, Blackhawks. Wow, I'm stupid. Um, Yeah, so those uh, (laughs) those were the only two times. Well, three times, technically. That uh, Oh, there's a Rangers one. That was the other one I was going to refer to. Uh, Rangers in... Had to be like, what, Leech and somebody? No, it was earlier, and I lost it. Oh, yeah, it's 50s. Gump, Worsley, and Camille Henry won it back-to-back in 52, 53, and 53, 54. So not since the 60s. Not real people has uh any team had somebody win it back to back so hey we could be a florida came close colorado came close colorado had landis cog and then huberto broke it up and then mckinnon won and then ekblad won the year later so for for uh, four years there it was split between florida and that's colorado uh, but other than that yeah that's the you only know, that's really as close as any team has gotten to winning it back to back the last few years since that Florida-Colorado swap. It's been Chicago with Panera, and Toronto with Matthews, Barzell with the Islanders, Pedersen with Vancouver, Makar with Colorado, and Kaprizov last year.
1: Kaprizov rocks. He's so dope. We're not doing that today, though. No. We're not, we're not going to turn this <laughs> into a Minnesota Wild podcast. Nope. Um, Anything else you want to cover? I mean, we,
2: obviously, Verbeek was the big news, <laughs> talked a bit about uh, how the Ducks have been doing, saving some of the trade deadline stuff, I'm, I'm sure, for a future show as we get closer to, to the deadline and some, some more rumors come out here. But uh, anything you want to mention before we head into the All-Star
1: break here? Oh, man. I um, uh, You know, speaking of the All-Star game, I, I'm really looking forward to some of the dumb stuff they want to try this year you know i i think them embracing the entertainment part of it it is is going to be good like you know we had a whole conversation about it and what it does or doesn't mean and why you know you really shouldn't get worked up about it until they make it worth it these are the kinds of things that maybe make it a little bit more worth it maybe make it a little bit more uh easy and fun to actually get worked up about um you know it's going to be cool they're bringing in outside people like uh, I, I want to say Philippe Marie Pouline, but that's just because I keep seeing her name on every time The Athletic puts out the the women's Olympic primer but uh, there's like I think two or three women that are going to be part of the breakaway challenge and uh, the face-off challenge and stuff like that and it, it's going to be a blast I'm really looking forward to it I'm I really hope the NHL just even for a weekend pulls the stick out of its ass and just lets these guys have fun and it would it would be a blast for that to go. Tom Wilson's going to be there now, which means everyone's going to be mad all weekend. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. I don't want to um,
2: say um, Ovi doesn't have COVID, because I, I would like to believe that the testing is true. COVID-19? But he always finds a way to get out of the All-Star game. When, when he really doesn't want to go, he finds a way to get out of it. Um, and... Yeah, finds a way to get going, out of it so. without missing time and getting game suspension. So, I, I, I mean, I hope Ooh. for his sake he doesn't have COVID because uh, I would like to see him continue to play as many games as possible and break the the record that, uh, that Gretzky holds right now. But, yeah, Ovi, uh, every time you see Ovi's going to miss an All-Star game, there's a little part of you that's like, yeah, is he really hurt? Does he really have COVID? <laughs>
1: yeah. Is, no, is his pain, wife dude. really it's having terrible. another
2: kid? Like, is... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's, I stubbed my toe, guys. I don't think I can make it. Um, uh, we'll enjoy it. Uh,
2: Zegris is in Breakaway Challenge. Uh, Terry's in Accuracy Challenge, and Gibby is
1: Breakaway, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be in the uh, consecutive save, the save streak challenge. Oh, right, yeah. How much do you like that? Which... The Breakaway Challenge has
2: like four guys that should be there. It's got uh, Debrinkit, Hughes, Kaprazov, Zegris, and then Alex Petrangel. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, i hope he I, honestly, shows up and that's pulls awesome off of the, the best move and wins like,
1: that's so cool like uh, that that's the kind of stuff like if you would have asked me alex petrangelo doesn't seem like a particularly fun guy but if he is, like, secretly an incredibly fun and, and, and goofy dude and he just, like, shows up and does some dumb like stuff, why? right? Because okay, nobody so. thinks of him the way that they think of P.K. Subban, right? Pulling out the yoger hair and all that kind of stuff. I would love for it to, you know, again, like, I just – anything that positively brings eyes to the NHL right now is huge, especially since everything bringing eyes to the NHL right now is terrible. Um, so I hope Petrangelo balls out, man you know I hope the whole thing goes goes super well I think they're starting to take steps towards what we were talking about of having guys in the skills competitions that aren't in the game yep. and trying to really make the quality of the skills competition excellent by detaching it from the all-star game rosters. Um, I think there's plenty of potential there for things they can do they can do you know a, a rookie sophomore game all that kind of stuff like there's all sorts of things they can do that to get, guys into the all-star game weekend, into the festivities, onto people's TVs, onto people's awareness and radar in a way that might actually make the all-star game itself more meaningful because these guys are there for that and all the other stuff is around it. You know what I mean? Like some of these guys right are going to be in 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 some of these things and that rocks. But I also think it's cool that some of them aren't, and we're just going to get to keep meeting new people, right? Like, Jason Capono was never an all-star. He won the three-point competition. You know what I mean? Shannon Brown was never an all-star. He was in, like, multiple dunk contests. Like, it, there's just so much to be excited about right now. And it's all based entirely on me assuming the NHL is making good decisions. And that has never backfired. Yeah, never once.
2: But uh, all, all we know yeah, is, no matter yeah, what, I don't like. Any, who knows if the other guys that are in the game and got invited are going to bring it. Trevor Zegris is going to bring it to that. That's what he's there for, mm-hmm. and he's already getting a little bit of. I hope he shows up in a Red Wings oh jersey. Oh my god, Have that would rock. be amazing. If he takes off like a Ducks jersey and he's got like, I mean, probably I was going to say a Raymond jersey, but I don't. I don't think you want to target anybody specifically. Just, you got to do a, a Howard jersey. Just or, like, an unnamed Red Wings jersey. <laughs> on the back.
1: Dude, or just one? Or one shit. Yeah, it,
2: just, it says Michigan 69 on the back, and he just <laughs> pulls oh. off a Michigan in the shootout. That would be amazing. Oh, I, I, oh. For Beak jersey, Firebite says <laughs> the jo- class, Classic, classic awesome. Pat Beak jersey. Love it. Uh, but you know he's gonna good. show up and he's he's gonna bring it because he's been getting. Well, I don't think him personally, but a lot of people have been giving him flack for being invited just to do that event which is dumb I mean like we said you want to have guys that are gonna make the event exciting be there no matter what so but he's gonna I think he has to bring it right because he's the only guy that's there other than the celebrity guests that is there mm-hmm. just to be in that specific competition so I'm sure he's been he's been thinking about some different ideas and uh, I'm excited to watch it because every year you get some guys who will try some stuff but they're not really into it as much so they're not gonna pull out pull out mm-hmm. the stops. You know he's he's got some pretty interesting stuff in, in his bag, so.
1: Right, and then you know him having a guy like Jack Hughes. Oh, yeah, it's, I can't, it's a battle, no, right? There's I'm competition there because one. he's got Jack uh, Hughes is a buddy yeah. of his. He's a guy. That's you know what I mean. He, they have sure. a really great relationship. I I love the idea of those two just kind of going back and forth. You know what I mean? Um, that that just sounds like fun. Jack, Jack who's such a jackass. That, that, what a the worst, that's the, dying, no. the worst person in the world. The worst person in the world. Like, I can um, okay,
2: Zegris, Zegris, Drysdale, Dreesdale, fair enough.
1: Jack, who's <laughs> well, it's so dude. I was literally thinking about it earlier. How funny it is that it sounds like jacuz which I don't speak French, I don't even know what that means. I just know it's a French word, jacuz and you like say it when you're shocked or some stuff. But just, I'm like, oh, that's like funny. And then it just stuck its way into my brain. And now I'm on here. It sounded like an asshole. I love it. All right. Well, uh-huh. uh, yeah,
2: thanks, thanks for coming out. Coming out.
1: This, We're,
2: uh, this was good it's fun stuff. To, to get on here and talk about some positive stuff. No hockey for a little bit here. But um, a lot of – Go Clippers. Lakers suck. Clippers up by 15. Jeez. <sighs> Let's go. Um, enjoy Let's go. the All Star break. Enjoy. Uh, I know there's some, some probably some Rams fans who listen to our podcast. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll be cheering for yeah. Joe Burrow and the Bengals. But <laughs> like, love, yeah. love me an no, underdog
1: it's... story. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm 100 percent here for Joe Burrow uh, because I am a huge fan of Skyline Chili. Obviously, as someone who has never had it, I believe it is good and go Bengals.
2: but i mean we'll we'll probably i would hope we would have a show before the super bowl because it's in a couple weeks from now oh my god it's two weeks away that's so dumb but uh, we'll be back uh i would assume next week we don't have a ton to talk about so we'll we'll see how that's going to go because there's going to be no games until the 11th of february against seattle and there's another like five day break there until we play back to back against calgary and edmonton so Stay tuned uh, to our social if we're going to be doing a show next weekend. If not, I would imagine it will be some sort of Patreon show uh, to take advantage of, of the, the lack of news and the availability of time to put something like that together. We're working on getting the whole, whole band together for our Pucks and Bruce. Uh, last time it was just, just me and Jay who riffed a little bit about the Aaron Dell situation and uh, the Evander Kane trade.
1: What was his take on that?
2: He, um... I was going to say, you have to, listen to the, go listen to the Patreon. I'm just to find out. But no, he, he uh, it, to my surprise, was not back in the goaltender. Uh, he was not a fan of the Arendell situation. Coward. Yeah, I, I thought Traitor. he was going to uh, support his kind, but it didn't happen. So if you want to go uh, <laughs> listen to that, check out our Patreon. It's a great, uh, not really debate, but discussion that Jay and I had about the Arendelle uh, hit on drake batherson that injured him for a couple months and uh, we talked about their vander Kane trade and a few other things about john gibson and uh, vesna trophy and, and a bunch of different stuff so check that out steven and i have a couple of patreon ideas that we're going to be coming up with soon and then obviously like i said trying to get the full gang together for pucks and Brewers. it's been a mm-hmm. while since we had uh had all four of us together to do one of those so hopefully soon we're uh we're getting it in the works and just trying to Trying to plan it out on a day that works for everybody, but uh, stay tuned for that. Appreciate everybody who came out and stuck around here for the full almost hour forty, and uh, we'll be we'll be back soon. So enjoy the All Star Game, guys.
0: Hi, everybody.